Whereas with crypto, like we can start building that kind of stuff in, like people could verify their identities against their addresses and you could use zero knowledge proofs to not disclose their identity. This is where I want to see the industry building out towards to have, you know, given the transparency in the blockchain, it should be impossible to for people to conduct crime and for scams to happen. concepts do you think most people get stuck on when you're trying to explain crypto to people uh it's like it so depends right like i mean when when yeah so many people still just don't know anything about crypto at all um and so even the concept of um you know what is a digital asset what does it mean like how does a wallet work where where is my crypto um the concept of like signing transactions uh, the view that it's all just used for money laundering when like that's like you know the furthest thing from the truth it's like this is well yeah this is like an incredibly transparent massively um, public way of doing payments and it's like it's a pretty bad idea to use it for criminal activity but that's still the kind of label that most people have in their heads about it so yeah there's so many myths out there about crypto still sadly. So when we left off we we're kind of talking about crypto myths and that's something that I'm very interested in and like part of what we do in Crypto Girls when we're trying to educate is to kind of debunk those myths, but it is quite like a steep hill to be climbing. I saw an article on One News the other day that kind of compared the entire crypto industry to a Ponzi scheme, which is so, so sad to have it kind of that myopic view. How do you think that we can fight that narrative? And do you think that crypto and Web3 like needs a rebrand? I know people are like more kind of used to calling stuff digital assets now because it seems less like wrapped up in that but do you think that it's something that needs more focus in the industry uh personally I'm like you know I agree it's so frustrating but I'm like I wouldn't even bother focusing on I'm just like let's just get on and build cool stuff and once we build stuff you know they will come and uh, you know part of the problem with crypto and the reason why people call it a Ponzi scheme is because they don't see that there's any underlying value like you know there's not there's a lot of um similarities between crypto and fiat in terms of, you know, the value of New New Zealand dollar or a Bitcoin is only worth what people are willing to pay for it, supply and demand, all of that sort of thing. But where it gets different is that the New Zealand dollar has an economy kind of underpinning it, it has the GDP of an entire country kind of backing it up, whereas Bitcoin doesn't have that. It's just a lot of speculation. But that said, the more that we build in those use cases, the more that we, you know, embrace Web3, have those creator economies, have those, you know, actual functioning you know, ways of doing finance and doing, um, you know, digital assets that are adding value. I think those conversations will just, you know, fall by the wayside. People will forget that they ever caught it a scam. They'll just be embracing it every day because it's part of day-to-day life. And that's genuinely where I see digital assets heading in the future. Yeah. And that's, that's such a good way to look at it as well. And I think any new technology face is a bit of an uphill slog. Like I remember um, we talked to Alex Sims a few months, uh, like last year actually it would have been, and she was kind of sent us a video afterwards and it was people talking about um, like Excel and like the word. <laughs> and it was just wild. It was like something from outer space that they're talking about. And obviously now that's just second nature to us. Like we're so used to using this tech, but yeah, I think you're totally right. I think it's yeah. use cases and actually just being people getting, they may be better interfaces. Absolutely. Like we need to do so much on the user interfaces in the space. There's pretty, there's a whole lot of really bad stuff because I think in crypto, the tech has been built by the techies for the techies. And so you have all these things that are like, you know, absolutely terrifying for everyday users. And when it comes to your money to have 
fear as your overriding emotion when you're dealing with it. Like that's not ideal, right? So it's like we need to do so much better in that space. But also, you know, to your point around when Excel came out, it was like, what is this crazy thing? Like, oh, I, it just is, this is what excites me so much in the space is that we just have no idea what the future is going to bring in terms of once we make money programmable and we make value, you know, like instant, free, digital, like what does that mean? What can we do with it? Like, we have no idea. We'll be sitting here in 20 years time going, oh my goodness, we never could have back then imagined all of these things now. And um, I did a blog post last week where I um, linked to this and I, I don't know if I've talked to you guys about it before. It's one of my favorites is this um, episode of Letterman where Bill Gates is on in like 1996, I think. And Bill Gates is trying to explain to Letterman what the internet is and why it's cool. And Letterman's just like shooting him down. And he's like, Bill Gates is like, oh, you can listen to a sports game. And he's like, well, we've got the radio. And he's like, oh, but you can pause it and come back later. And he's like, like a tape deck. And so it's just <laughs> kind of like, they just could not see the value. Whereas now we're like, hey, the internet lets us do this. Like, we're talking with Kita. She's overseas. We're in New Zealand. We're recording this thing. We're going to broadcast it. People, you know, later, it can like, this would just like blow minds. And that's where I see digital assets going is like, we have no idea what's coming, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> so last year, crypto was like a really, really rough year. Did that impact the easy crypto business at all? Yeah, we tend to follow the market quite closely, like the global market in terms of what's happening with volumes. So globally, you know, volumes peaked in 2021. There was still a bit of activity sort of early 2022. And then NFT started to crash and then Terra Luna and then FTX and... Oh, last year was a train wreck. But yeah, so our volumes have definitely dropped off. We've seen them really stabilize though, which is interesting. We've got like a, just a really sort of solid um, core base of people still buying and selling cryptocurrency. Um, we see quite a bit of, you know, the little volatility movements like just last week with um, the SEC case with Ripple. Um, that saw a big boom and, you know, we had a really good trading day, just people trading off that news. So we do see quite a bit of that. Um, but yeah, mostly it's just, it's pretty, um, it's pretty stable. It's pretty solid, you know, good solid bear market revenues and yeah we're, we're sort of watching for the signs of that next bull run because that's actually one of the biggest concerns for us is that when crypto goes nuts it can go nuts so quickly with such little warning and people want to get in and they don't want to be delayed if we you know if we can't process orders fast enough or if we um you know people are reaching out to our customer support desk and we can't respond quickly enough you know they're not very forgiving of that so we need to be able to sort of turn on a dime and make sure that we're resourced up should the markets go nuts again which there's a halving coming up around the corner that often has an impact. So we'll see. Watching closely. I'm looking forward to the next bear market as a bull market as well. I think that'll be like a really exciting time, particularly with just like how tumultuous the last year has been. And I know that it's not the only year that's been a shit show in crypto. But um, yeah, I, the Ripple thing I think is pretty pretty ground shattering. I think with with being with being ruled not a security for the most part, apart from those. Like investment contracts. I need to read the case, but I remember seeing like the figures and it was up like doubled obviously in price and then fifteen hundred percent like trading volumes. That is wild. That would have been so crazy for you guys. Still nowhere near where Ripple was trading at in a 2017, 2018 though when I bought in. So <laughs> still got a way to go. <laughs> Just in terms of infrastructure and how much infrastructure easy crypto has to kind of maintain all these transactions like can you give us a picture of what that looks like is it a few computers or is it a whole room of databases going on i don't know yeah no we're all in the cloud um and we do a lot of like one of the 
you know, one of the things that's really important to us is that, you know, we're non-custodial. That's very important to us because we don't want to hold our user funds. But it's also very important to us that we have, you know, uptime as close to 100% as possible. We want people to be really confident in our service. Like, we don't want to be dropping offline because, you know, some supplier is upgrading some XYZ thing. So we try to have multiple redundancies in all of our systems. So we've got servers and, you know, we use Google Cloud and AWS and we have sort of those, you know, all of your classic big... Um, online cloud solutions for, for our servers and for our databases and all of the backups. Um, but yeah, everything we do runs runs in the cloud, runs online, and we also use you know multiple um, infrastructure players when it comes to our financial flows. Again, wanting to make sure that we can move money around the world as fast as possible within the confines of the banking sector, which, you know, don't like to work on weekends or public holidays. And um, <laughs> we only we only just got seven day banking in New Zealand, which is such an amazing <laughs> feat. And it's just such a, a kind of like a bizarre irony against crypto. It's like we're, we've been 24 seven since birth. And yet, you know, here we have the banks have just allowed us to do payments on a Saturday. And we're like, yeah, that's <laughs> go get them. Oh, my God, it's about time. <laughs> um, yeah. And what the non custodial thing? Sophie and I love that and like we've been trying to teach our listeners about non-custodial especially since the FTX thing where you know I used to see Instagram stories of women who have been storing their crypto on exchanges and I didn't know this was still going on like last last year I did like if I had known that people were like storing money on exchanges and a lot of people at that I would have tried to speak up about this a lot sooner. Um, and then, yeah, ever since Sophie and I have been talking about non-custodial versus custodial and also trying to find exchanges that are non-custodial. And, you know, Easy Crypto we found is like one of the only ones in the world that are non-custodial. So many of the popular exchanges like Binance. Um, I don't, I can't remember, I think Kraken is also custodial FTX obviously was custodial there's so, like so many of the big players they're custodial and there's so many people using them and they're storing the money on the exchange and they think they own crypto and mm. it's really really scary so can you explain in your own words like what non-custodial is and why this is important yeah and I think a little bit of our backstory there because we started um, only a little bit before the Cryptopia collapse. And for anyone who was around in crypto then, that was, you know, start of 2018 and Cryptopia went offline with, you know, millions of dollars of people's funds in it. And that was New Zealand's biggest exchange at the time. When, when we built Easy Crypto, we always wanted, you know, we never wanted to be a honeypot for hacks, like be somewhere that people would try to attack us to get, you know, our customers' money out of. So we, we went into it going... We don't want to store people's funds for them because, you know, that's really risky. Um, we want to enable them to store their funds for themselves. And this is what, you know, non-custodial is, or self-custody is probably the better way to explain in that sentence, where it's, you know, if you are fully in control of your own cryptocurrency, you're holding it in a wallet that, you know, is your wallet, you have access to that. That means that you at any time can send your funds wherever you like. You're not at risk of, say, a third party holder going off, you know, line, a, a collapse, someone stealing your money. Even if the wallet company decides to shut up shop and fold, you still own that crypto and you can still access it yourself. And that's really important. And this is one of, you know, those key tenets of cryptocurrency is this idea of decentralization. Like instead of centralized entities like banks, 
being in control of your funds, you as an individual can actually hold and access and um, manage those yourself. And the banking one's quite an interesting one because, you know, we like to think of our money and our bank as being our own money, but it's actually just an IOU from the bank and your bank can, you know, within reason, they can decide whether or not you have access to those funds. And we have this challenge a lot with our customers where they want to make a payment to us to buy crypto and their bank says, nah, we're not happy with you making that payment. And they actually get refused to make a transaction that they have authorized. So it's a really interesting tension of, you know, it's your money sitting at the bank, but the bank can, you know, it, to some extent tell you what you can and can't do with it. And so crypto is really the antithesis of it. It's like, it's your money, you're holding it in your own wallet, you get to decide what to do with it. That's incredibly powerful, but... I think we also need to have that really well married with good education and protection and prevention against scams because it is still too easy to, for people to get caught in scams to, you know, confidence scams where people are saying, hey, I've got this great investment opportunity and it looks really good. And um, we see a lot of people get sucked into that in traditional finance as well as crypto. And the thing that I think is really, really important with crypto is that we have such good visibility. You know, the blockchain is fully transparent. Every transaction is public and is visible. And we can start to pull together, you know, this massive body of data that we have on the blockchain. And with the right tools and analytics, we can be showing to people, hey, this investment that you're sending your money to, it's actually been reported by a thousand other people around the world as being a scam. Do you want to send your money there? Like that real-time data we could surface to people. And that's incredibly powerful to help protect against scams. How many people do you have working in the kind of anti-scam or like security side of Easy Crypto? I'd like to say that all of my staff work <laughs> in that to some extent, but um, in terms of frontline, you know, all of our customer support team are really um, skilled in this. It's like it's actually probably the majority of their job is when someone emails the help desk, just looking at the language they use, looking at red flags, looking at, you know, is there, you know, we had one yesterday where um, our newest team member, actually, she um, saw an email come through from a customer. She was just like, I think this isn't quite right. Gave her a call, found out that she was about to send her money off to a scam, um, stopped her from doing that. This person had also given um, access, like through remote access to the scammer to take control over their entire computer. So she sort of taught them through, you know, you need to call your bank, you need to change your passwords, you need to, you know, remove this access and kind of like, you know, all of the protections across her emails and bank accounts and everything, you know, much wider than just crypto. So yeah, all of my team work on this, but definitely the frontline, the, the, the guys who are out there answering your emails and engaging with you on social media. Um, and also we've got a couple of people looking at things like the blockchain analytics and helping see where our customers actually sending their money to. And if it doesn't align with what they think they're doing, then, you know, we need to jump in and let them know because there might be something um, dodgy going on. Part of yeah, the... and I, I, I love Sorry. the fact that you guys are so kind of involved with your customers at that point as well, because that's something like to have your money scammed is definitely from, I'd say a lot of people, a big push factor away from ever kind of touching this space again. So I think it's, it's, it's a really good thing. And like, obviously within your like duties as a company to do, but uh, so many companies fail to do to do that and it's also a really nice synergy I think between like having the centralized company and then the de like the decentralized aspect and that's like something that I've kind of been thinking about a lot recently is you know how far can we actually take it where we're like completely can we ever be completely decentralized like that's kind of it, it seems like it's a long way away at the moment um I'm not sure that we will actually. Like, I think if you look at other things in history, it feels like we we start down a path of decentralization and then we've re-centralized. Like, even things like email, when that first came out, 
people were running their own email servers. Like this was actually like, and when I was younger, my brother had one that I used. It was kind of like, it wasn't that uncommon. And, and earlier than that, people were actually having to set up their own, you know, there wasn't even off the shelf solutions for that. So it's like email started as this decentralized thing that everyone could have their own email server, their own, um, you know, part of that network. And then because it's simpler, we centralized into services like Gmail and, you know, Hotmail and, um, whatever else we're using now um and so i think the same thing's going to happen with crypto like it started off decentralized you can run your own node on the bitcoin network you can be a validator you can um you know be a miner you can run a co you know copies of the chain but over time those services just centralized people might participate in them if there's economic incentives there for you know things like staking but most likely most people will just go for you know what is the easy efficient option which is having a centralized service do it for you so it's definitely something for us to watch out on like where it's important we probably want to maintain decentralization and that's really over the control and ownership of your funds and also over the, the decentralization of the network, right? Mm. That the network isn't being controlled or influenced by any one party. That's mm. really important and control of your funds is important. But then all of the other bits around that, like the user interfaces that make it easy, the, you know, staking as a service things that mean you don't have to have 32 ETH, all of these things are probably going to be centralized just because it's more efficient. It's a good perspective to come at it with because I think it's kind of wishful thinking almost that we could be like a completely decentralized world. Like we'd almost have to take humans out of the equation for that to be the case just with the way things work. And yeah, I, I think one of the like interesting things that um, Paul brought up last night. I think, I don't know if I talked about this just before, but like how you guys will call anyone over 70 if they like buy crypto or whatever, just to make sure that they're not getting, dipping their toes into anything. Yeah, it's unfortunate. There is, you know, there definitely are some, um, I guess, patterns we see with different demographics and particularly with older customers, you know, they often have less digital um, experience the less savvy with digital stuff and there are certain things like one of my team noticed the other day she's like I've seen this big increase in older customers um, enabling all delivery networks and you know this is a feature that we have where if you don't want to send on the default network you might want to use Matic or TRX or something other than the default network and she's like that's probably you know that's not expected behavior for someone in their 60s and 70s to necessarily you know understand or want to use that so she sort of dug into a few and found out that this is you know potentially a, a pattern where scammers are doing that so it's like you know there are things like that where we can use things that look um perhaps a little bit against the stereotype to help us you know identify scams but it is an unfortunate fact that we do see this more prevalently with older customers that said don't be, get complacent. Like one of the things, one of the messages that I would love to hammer home on this is that anyone can get caught in a scam because they are so sophisticated. They are so good. They they play on your emotions, but also they just, you know, and even emotions like being busy and tired and you just see an email come through and you click a link and this, you know, the number of people that get caught, you know, in your teens, in your 20s, in your 30s, like, and I am constantly vigilant about it. And I actually, you know, my brother got caught in a phishing scam not too long ago. And I was just like, if it can happen to him, it can happen to anyone, right? Because, you know, we know what to look for, we're trained, but then sometimes you're just, you're in a moment, you're doing one thing, your mind's somewhere else. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a really hard, it's such a hard one to predict about because they're always evolving, they're always getting different. But I think, you know, the message of always be vigilant, always look out for it and, um, don't judge someone who's caught in a scam because it really can happen to anyone. Yeah, that's so that is so so true, and, it, and they are so sophisticated these days. Like I, and I think the fact that we are expecting to receive stuff digitally as well that makes a huge difference. Like I, one of my good friends, and and myself nearly, I was like just at the last minute before I kind of um, did anything, like put, put any money across it's those NZTA scams. And like everyone has, 
driven on a toll road or hasn't had a parking ticket and obviously that's like a very big social engineering thing like emotions to play on and it really it, you're so right it, it, there's not one demographic that it's limited to and we do go on autopilot for like for most of my like when you're not at work or like not doing something that's like really like stimulating you're just kind of like like <laughs> in your own little world so definitely like I think it's a good um, message to put across that like no one is immune <laughs> but I think also this is one of the things that I'm really looking forward to crypto being part of the solution on because like the NZTA text message one classic right because it's like when you get a text message you can't check that it's a verified phone number right it's just a phone number when you receive an email you can't check that it's a verified email even looking at a website there's no like this is you know if it's a .govt.nz it's probably okay but even then like you know they can do really sneaky things like use Cyrillic characters that look like this and that and so there are so many ways that with the way that that infrastructure is built, you cannot actually check the validity and the you know the authenticity of any message or any site you're engaging with. Whereas with crypto, like we can start building that kind of stuff in. Like we can start with with blockchain. People could verify their identities against their addresses, and you could use zero knowledge proofs to not disclose their identity. Like no one doesn't, you know, you don't have to say this is her full name and date of birth, but you could say this address has been verified, has been validated to someone's ID, and this address has engaged, you know, so many different other addresses have said this is um, authentic and not, you know, it hasn't been reported as a scam. Like there's a lot of data and stuff that we could start gathering and surfacing and this is where I want to see the industry building out towards to have you know given the transparency in the blockchain it should be impossible to for people to conduct crime and for scams to happen and that's the type of blockchain we need to build is one where that is scam and fraud proof. Mm. You mentioned um, before that you have some people kind of also monitoring the blockchain to see where people are sending money to is that part of the anti-money laundering aspect that you need to have in your business? And what, what happens if you see something that you're like, this is looking sketchy, um, I need to report this, and who do you report that to, and, and how, how do you deal with something like that? So there's two sort of separate areas here. Well, there's actually three. There's sanctions, which, you know, Russia got sanctioned and that's, you know, that's a whole thing that, you know, you have to, as a New Zealand business, we have obligations to not send funds to any sanctioned individual or, or entity. Um, so sanctions is one area. Then there's anti-money laundering, which is all about trying to prevent um, funds going for things like um, terrorism financing and just, you know, laundering proceeds of crime. But then there's scams and frauds. And one of my big, big bugbears is that in New Zealand, scams and fraud is not part of AML. So for us, we kind of, in some respects, we sort of see all three of those as one kind of bucket. They're our compliance bucket. They're what we do, sort of our, our blockchain monitoring and what we're sort of looking out for and trying to stop. Um, but the law distinguishes very, you know, distinctly between sanctions and AML is this stuff is not legal, you can't do it. And fraud's just this kind of like, uh, it's just this, you know, it's kind of this forgotten area where, you know, there isn't a dedicated um, space within police really to deal with it. A lot of this just, you know, goes through frontline where they don't have the resources. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good people in police wanting to deal with financial crime, but there just isn't enough resourcing. And when we see, you know, what we see as a business, we see very, very, very little money laundering. Like the the main type of money laundering activity we will see is what's called money mules. And this is a, another one probably for your audience to be very aware of because you can become a money mule without being, you know, unwittingly be a money mule. One of the really common ones is 
say you get recruited by someone, um, they've got a job for you. You're like, great, I'm a student, I need a job. This one looks like it's gonna pay very well. I can do it from home on my computer, woohoo. Um, and the job is that you are buying Bitcoin for this company. So you come to Easy Crypto and you know they deposit money in your bank account and then you buy Bitcoin and send it off. That's not a legitimate job, that's called money laundering. And you can actually go to jail for it. So um, you know that is, that is the thing that we see most commonly is where people are receiving funds that have been stolen, then they're using it or trying to use it to buy crypto um, and they don't realize that they are breaking the law. They think they've got a job or that they're helping out a friend or you know some other thing like that. Um, but the pure scams and frauds, which we typically, you know, what we would see are investment scams. So someone is knowingly sending their own money off, but they're sending it off to something that is, you know, a fake investment site. Those are the ones that um, we, we see them the most commonly. Um, they're really heartbreaking because people are, you know, losing their hard-earned savings. And they're a bit of a black hole when it comes to how we as New Zealand Inc. are trying to fight this stuff. And it's something that I'd love to see a lot more attention and resourcing against because it's getting, the problem is huge and it's getting worse. And you're seeing news stories all the day. And it's not a crypto thing. It's, uh, you know, across all of the financial markets, it's banking, it's crypto, it's, you know, all of the other sectors as well. Yeah, 100%. Like you said, if your brother, someone like your brother, and I'm also very, Sophie and I are very vigilant because we talk about scams and stuff all day. So we know what to look for. But just yesterday, I got like a really sophisticated one about like McAfee virus something renewal. And I'm like, I don't think I have that. But like, I'm pretty sure my old (laughs) computer had that and they charged, like I said, it charged me $450. And I was like, Oh, it's just they're so they really get you they definitely play on it the the trust that you have in the system i think a lot which is it's very sad because that's the one thing that you don't really want to be eroded like in any situation i think in the context of crypto like people tend to see it as like a like an assimilated thing this the scam with like the crypto even though actually for, for the most part crypto has got nothing to do with it at all yeah. Um, but I was kind of interested, you were talking about zero knowledge proofs before, and we've been kind of trying to wrap our heads around that. And I think it's a really cool innovation and definitely seems like the new frontier and and, and authentication and that kind of thing. So I kind of wondered what are you kind of seeing at the moment in the industry that's emerging, um, like new tools and, and things like that, that you're really excited about? Oh, yeah, there's so much cool stuff coming up. And like, yeah, definitely we're talking about zero knowledge a, a little bit because I think that's, a, um, you know, we've talked quite a lot in this um, episode about how how transparent blockchain is, how everything that happens is public and is visible. And that's like incredibly powerful, but it's also incredibly maybe not what you always want when it comes to your money, right? Like the whole thing of, you know, I go down to the corner store and buy some milk and they can see how much I earn and, you know, how much I'm paying and rates and where I shop and everything. It's kind of like, you know, not all transparency is good transparency. And so zero knowledge, like a, a you know a really basic way to explain it. Have you guys already explained it to your audience, or should I? Give I reckon it? you should explain it. <laughs> All right, I'll just give a real basic overview. Like the way I like to talk about it is like, you know, at the moment when I go to the supermarket and if I get ID to buy alcohol, which sadly doesn't happen anywhere near often enough, um, I, I show them my ID and they can see my full name, they can see my date of birth, my driver's license number. Like that's actually way too much personal information that I'm giving them. I'd prefer not to give them all of that information. Like they're not photocopying it, so it's fine. I can't believe I use the word photocopy. Um, <laughs> 
but you know the thing is like I, I'm not just saying to them yes I'm over 18 I'm giving them all of this private data so what zero knowledge is in a nutshell is that you can attest to something being true without having to disclose the underlying proof point so I could I could have a, a badge that says yes I'm over 18 without them seeing my date of birth so that's the kind of zero knowledge um, you know premise which is incredibly powerful because it means that all the stuff on the blockchain that's transparent doesn't have to be breaking our privacy or disclosing more than we want it to. And like, you know, we're talking before about how great it would be to have validated addresses that you know who you're engaging with. You could do that without necessarily knowing who, but you could know that an address is validated or that it's verified or that it's vouched for by, you know, these other, you know, high quality people. Um, so I think zero knowledge is really important. I'm also really interested in sort of, you know, account abstraction is another cool thing that's coming out at the moment. So that was launched um, in March on the Ethereum network. I was over at WalletCon in East Denver when it came out, so it was pretty exciting. But account abstraction is, I think, a huge step forward in um, improving the user experience that we have in crypto. So at the moment, crypto, you know, not your keys, not your crypto. And by not your keys, we mean that really long, you know, string of things or your seed phrase of the 12 words and all of these are like really hard for non-crypto people to get their head around and even for those of us in crypto like they're pretty clunky and annoying and like you know I should change my wallets more often but I don't because I just can't be bothered because it's so hard to do you know key swaps and you know storage of where you put your keys and what you do about you know have you guys got like plans for you know should you get hit by a bus and like who's going to have access to your crypto like all of these things are really big annoying complex friction points mm. um, whereas account abstraction is a huge step towards moving away from seed phrases and into a post-seed phrase world where we can actually control and engage with our crypto in a way that's more, I guess, digitally familiar to us rather than, again, you know, crypto was built by techies for techies and we're now sort of adding in these user experience layers that make it a lot more intuitive and friendly for everyday people. That's so, that's like so exciting. I haven't actually heard of that particular um, like tool yet, but I think that's really cool because that's definitely the way that things need to go because I think last time I talked to you, like the, the way that we classify things in, in crypto and particularly when you're talking about like wallets and stuff like that, it's just totally like not the same thing as what you'd think about in a traditional finance sense. So like anything that can kind of move the user interface to something that's more palatable. So, you know, one sort of example of what account abstraction would look like in practice is imagine you're a company like, you know, I don't know, Nike or something, and you want to give people NFTs in a wallet, but instead of them having to have their own wallet, on your website, you could have something as simple as you guys have used the sign in with Facebook, sign in with Google, that kind of thing. Click that sign in link, and then it automatically generates a wallet for you that's linked to you you don't need a seed phrase any of that kind of stuff it's just a uh, your sign-in method is your seed phrase or is your authentication key mm. and so you could have you could just spin up a wallet on a website as easily as just having that single sign-on button Man, so that, that would, you know, exciting. you can imagine that bringing in the next billion people into crypto. They wouldn't even need to know that they're in crypto. They're just authenticated themselves. And by extension, they're having wallets spun up that they can use and interact with. Yeah. My God, that is so exciting. Like, I can't believe I, I haven't heard about that before, but I guess that's why we asked the questions. <laughs> even just giving out your email address to and signing up to websites, that can reveal a lot of information should that website ever get hacked. And so there's an iCloud feature that I'm really loving is that uh, they can get you a private email with like a really random email. And so I've been signing up to websites using that email. 
Um, and that's been really good in terms of privacy and not like giving out my email address to all these websites. Like I don't want to be getting random emails from like yeah. people. It's so good, right? And it's like, we should have had that tech a while ago, but like, and we, we need this tech in crypto as well. Like it's technically possible, not enough wallets offer it, but you can use, spin up a new crypto address for everything you do. So too many wallets, you have a crypto address, you know, one address for Bitcoin, one address for Ethereum, but you can generate unlimited addresses. Similarly with um, credit cards, you can use digital credit cards numbers that you could spin up a different credit card number for every online service you use which would you know massively help from protecting you against those you know phishing scams where they you know take your credit card and use it to buy whatever so it's like this kind of technology we need to see that replicated more in the crypto sphere where you know we have that privacy and i think that kind of thing hand in hand with zero knowledge um, proofs is really important for maintaining privacy but not um, minimizing safety yeah it's really exciting talking about wallets uh what I don't know if I want to ask you what do you use because maybe that's too much private info but like I don't know when, when's this episode coming out um <laughs> probably a couple of weeks from recording I'd say it's normally Next like our turnaround time. <laughs> okay you guys might have to have me back on a little bit later because we're actually building a wallet at the moment I can't talk about it just yet because we're not close enough to being live but um I got the beta or sorry the alpha came out last week so we're testing it internally and we're going to go out to a beta with a couple of you know users and September and then we'll probably be out um in October so yeah oh, wow, and then come really back and talk about wallets because I'm trying to solve all of the things I hate about wallets <laughs> oh my god like you need a this is going to be so popular this is going to be really good I, I can tell <laughs> there's so many things wrong with wallets um don't even get yeah. me started but like do you use hard wallets and what do you think about the recent ledger scandal how serious do you think that is and yeah also like do you would you use trezor even though that's supposedly better than ledger yeah so alan and i have always used trezor actually and the reason we chose trezor originally was because it was open source and you know i think there's a huge value in open source software particularly for stuff like this um there are some known vulnerabilities in trezor but again it's open source that means everyone in the world is looking at the code and um but the known vulnerability in trezor is mitigated if you use a um passphrase so as long as you use a passphrase the vulnerability is not there so if you do have trezor use that feature another great thing about trezors and yeah maybe i'll do a little trezor rant um so when i said that you can spin up you know you can technically spin up multiple crypto wallets and not many wallets sort of support this natively um trezor they don't publish this feature it's almost kind of like this hidden feature that i think alan figured out a few years back but there's this great feature on trezor where you can using different passphrases you can spin up multiple different wallets so on my trezor i have like maybe six Six or seven different passphrases that I use. It's one Trezor, um, but the different passphrases all access different wallets, so they're all private and segregated from each other. Um, and you know that's a really useful useful tool. And so yeah, that that tool plus the open source nature um, is a really compelling feature for Trezor. Um, Ledger have always been the better wallet when it comes to their marketing and their public. You know, like they've, they've done a really great job of selling themselves. They're very innovative. They put it you know, put a lot into their product development. You know. Trezor's lagged a bit in that, like they, you know, they were quite slow at adding new coins, whereas, you know, Ledger were more on the forefront. Um, the new innovation of Ledger, though, it was a bit of a, I think we called it an own goal when we put out our, our um, comms on it. it. They, you know, they created a product that I think is a really good, really brilliant product, but not for their audience. Like people who use hardware wallets are really very security conscious. Um, they don't want, you know, while this feature would be really awesome for people who are new to crypto, 
launching it as part of the existing product set and where it was you know a software upgrade that technically you have to do it because we all know what it's like if you try to avoid doing software upgrades right um so they effectively forced all of their users onto this feature that they didn't want which was um you know gave ledger the ability to recover their private key for them which goes completely against the not your keys not your crypto ethos and then they sort of doubled down on that by coming out with some really bad comms for anyone out there who's doing sort of pr this was a master class and what not to do um some of the notable ones where, you know, everyone was railing against this, you know, effectively this technology that would allow Ledger to access their private keys. And the Ledger team at one point said, oh, well, we could always technically do that. You were just trusting us not to. And it was like, oh, yeah. no. <laughs> so, you know, another reason why that open source technology is really good, because Ledger was always closed doors, you you know, and, and, and for good reason. They want to protect their IP. And I, you know, appreciate that. But you couldn't see what was going on under the hood. So that fact that Ledger had always had the ability to extract private keys wasn't something that anyone knew or wanted for that to be possible. And it did create a massive uproar. And, you know, we saw a lot of people, you know, that had purchased ledgers returning them. Um, we've seen our, our sales of ledgers drop massively and Trezor's, you know, obviously picked up a good bit of market share off that. Yeah, I'm currently like trying doing some videos for Trezor and it's taking me so long because like since the ledger scandal, I'm doing so much due diligence on Trezor. Well, one thing I'd say on that, like definitely set up the passphrase um, and obviously you can have multiple ones, which is good. But the other thing that I always do is when you get in the Trezor suite or, you know, however you're engaging with it, you get the option to enter the passphrase on your computer. I always enter it on the Trezor because it's just one more step that if you have a key logger or something like that, mm. you know, it can't get it if you enter it on the Trezor. So it's a little bit of a pain with those tiny, tiny buttons, but, um, you know, worth it for that extra peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the note of crypto tokens, you mentioned that Ledger was on the forefront of adding crypto tokens. How does Easy Crypto decide like what crypto tokens they're going to put on the platform? And are there tokens that you refuse to put on? <laughs> yeah, really. But yeah, so what we do is um, we're really led by our community into what, what you guys want to see. So if you head to our rates page, there's a link on there. It says, you know, um, want a token that's not here, vote for it. So then you can go to our vote page or it's also easycrypto.com slash vote. Um, so if you want to see a new coin listed, vote for it. And then when things are at the top of the voting list, we'll just sort of periodically grab them and, and get them listed. Um, the only things that we don't list are if they're um, if we can't list them, if they're debt or equity securities, but um, we haven't actually found any of those yet. Uh, interestingly, XRP has been one that's been on our watch list for quite a while of, is it, isn't it? We know there's, you know, there's not a clear cut line on this. So that SEC ruling was really helpful. Mm. Um, then we look at, you know, technically, can we can we source it? Can we access it? Really fringe, very small tokens that aren't widely traded, we might not be able to. Um, and we also look at ethically, do we want to list it? And this is the, the hardest category to judge. Um, we don't often choose not to list things for ethical reasons. Like we did list... Um, what was the most recent meme coin that came out? We listed Pepe coin because we're like, okay, everyone knows that it's a meme coin. It's like, you know, we think people who are buying Pepe coin are going into this with eyes open, knowing that it's like probably a pump and dump or some sort of crazy speculation. It's like, you know, guys, you do you. But the one that we didn't list re recently, it was last year, I think it was called Safe Moon. And it was this token that was, you know, very much sort of like pushing itself as a, um, 
you know, as, as, an, as a safe investment that was going to moon was pretty much their premise. And we're just like, this is a Ponzi scheme. And the the type of customers that we saw coming through wanting to buy it were people who were new to crypto. They sort of thought they were buying into an investment that was going to make them money, whereas um, people who are buying the meme coins are typically more the savvy crypto investors who are doing it for the lols. So the ethical judgment one is definitely a tricky one. Um, we don't want to list coins where people are going to lose money. Um, but at the same time, we don't want to be gatekeepers of what you can or can't do with your funds. There's also so much crypto news out there. Uh, so many tech developments, like it's the crypto world moves so fast. How do you stay sane and how do you filter your news? I have to say, when I started Easy Crypto, I used to joke that like, you know, I used to know stuff about crypto and then I started a crypto business and I just like, I just lost the ability to keep up because it moved so fast and I was so busy. And that was six years ago. And now I'm like, I don't have a chance. But um no, I am lucky that I have a team of very amazing people who have their finger on the pulse. And so I actually get most of my news from reading our internal Slack channels. Um, but we do have a couple of those people out and, you know, the Easy Crypto Facebook page, we'll be putting news out on that. And Louise McFarlane from um, our team also runs a woman in crypto group and she's always putting out really good updates and she's great at sort of like, you know, um, consuming all of the info that's going on and then putting out like really good sort of week weekly wraps on what's been happening. I know she puts them out in her social groups. Is she writing the easy crypto emails? Because I get those like kind of updates. Do you get that? We've got a they've got a few different ones. We've got the monthly one, but then there's also a weekly update that's kind of like a market commentary at um, sort of like the financial and economic stuff. Um, Paul, who uh, Sophie you saw last night, does those ones. So. Yeah, we'd be interested to know actually sort of feedback from your listeners as to like what kind of channels and what kind of info is useful for us to be putting out or conversely, perhaps people get enough news and media out there as it is that they don't need sort of more crypto summaries and commentaries. But yeah, I agree, Keita. It's like it is such a fast moving, such a crazy space with so much happening. And it's like really, really hard to keep up even when you're, you know, <laughs> this deep in it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just so difficult. Yeah, there's like this, this phrase that I feel like I'm going to get wrong, but it's like a day in crypto is like a like a month in like traditional finance. We got a bit cut off right at the end here because Janine's assistant was on holiday. We are definitely going to have her back on at some stage. So thank you so much for listening and we'll see you back here next week or the next.